0: But it wasn't. Did you know that? Oh, Revelation. Go on Wikipedia this when you get home. Uh, The French Revolution was 1789 to 1799. Les Mises is set 30 years later in 1832. This is post-Revolution France. It was about another revolution, as you know, and it was failed miserably. These students set up barricades and they got slaughtered. Anyway, um, If the revolution succeeded, and that's why we we misunderstand because they're singing about freedom and so on, but if the revolution succeeded and France was free, why did they need to be freed again? Well, it's because French history since the revolution is kind of rocky. They kept going back to monarchy, having a king. So Napoleon was post French Revolution, he was emperor. I mean, not just king. (laughs) You know, he went the whole hog. He he declared himself emperor between 1804 and 1815. And then the monarchy would be restored until 1830. But then two years later, you've got the events at Les Mis. And then they would go back and forth between monarchy and being a republic a couple more times in their history. All right, this I didn't know. I had to Google this one. Well, why is it? Well, it's because the history of France shows us something. It shows us that when freedom is won... It's not always appreciated, is it? It's very easy to go back being slaves. My friend Steve Chong, uh, he spoke this year. Um, when he was a uni student, he went to South Africa and went to Africa for the first time. This is post-apartheid South Africa in the late '90s. As he was walking around, he he was um, astounded, especially as he interacted with people in South Africa, went to shops. Um, the black South Africans kept calling him boss. Hey, boss. Okay, boss, you see, this was post-apartheid South Africa. It was no longer politically, racially a split. Whites were better than blacks. No, it was gone. But the mentality of slavery doesn't go away that easily, does it? Now, I mention all of this because the Christian life can be a bit like that. Now, we didn't read earlier, but if you um, have your Bibles or if you just want to listen, at the beginning of that chapter of Galatians 5, the Kieran read out for us, the first verse says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, but stand firm and don't let yourselves be burdened again by slavery. See what it's saying? It's saying Christians so easily easily become like France. So easily become like post-apartheid blacks in South Africa. You know, Jesus has won freedom for us. If you're a Christian, you know what that feels like. And there are two groups, I think, primarily, and I'm going to keep coming back to these two groups tonight. But there are two groups for which Jesus has won freedom. There's, for some, freedom from religion or religiosity. For for some, becoming a Christian has been great because, and this was me growing up in a church family um, and, and thinking that being a Christian was about being good, being religious. And then when I discovered Jesus, the gospel really understood it, I, I felt free because I no longer had to earn God's favor by being religious. Yeah. Instead, I understood that because Jesus died and paid for all of my sins, He made me right with God once and for all. It was by grace. It was His generosity. All I contribute was my sin. And I just needed to trust in Jesus. That was freeing. I felt a burden fall off my back. So for for some, like me, it was freedom from religiosity. But for others, the second group, it's maybe not that because you haven't come from a religious background, but it was freedom from a lifestyle that was anything but religious. So you know what that's like. Maybe it was particular addictions or waste Meaninglessness, living your own way, doing everything. You thought you were pursuing freedom, but actually you were enslaved by all sorts of addictions. And then you met Jesus and he freed you from that. Now, there's two groups there, probably for most of us will belong one or the other. Freed from religion or freed from irreligion, Jesus has freed us, is the point. But you know what? It's so easy to go back, isn't it, and be enslaved all over again. I wonder if that's you. If you are a Christian, I know. Uh, maybe not all of you might be here tonight, but the majority of you may be Christians, and you might be thinking, "Yeah, yeah, I can, I can relate to that because I've been set free, but now I find myself in the Christian life overcome by fear and guilt and shame, and I always feel like I'm not good enough for God. Do you see? You've fallen back into the slavery of religion, or maybe it's that you've fallen into temptations and addictions and your sins or your old life just coming back to enslave you all over again. It's so easy, isn't it, to lose the freedom that God has given us. Now, what's the solution? Well, the solution that God gives for us not to fall back into slavery is quite radical. The solution that God gives, as you can probably guess from the series we're looking at, is the Holy Spirit. When we fail to be free... It's because we've forgotten to live in light of God's radical, powerful, personal solution. That is His own Spirit. And so this is our final Holy Spirit uh, sermon in our series. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. So let me pray, and then we'll dig into Galatians chapter 5. Father, I pray that as we look at Your Word, as Your Spirit who has inspired these words, we pray that He would come and speak to us tonight. Deliver us from a slavery all over again, whether it's slavery to religion or irreligion. Help us instead to walk by the Spirit and to reappreciate how good it is to be free. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you haven't been with us for the last uh, weekend away, two weekends ago, plus last week, where we've been looking at um, with their series, the Holy Spirit, you can catch up online. Uh, it's free. Um, we got, who is the Holy Spirit we started with? Then we looked at the spirit and Christ or spirit and Jesus. Uh, then we looked at being filled with the Holy Spirit. We looked at all those three, two weekends ago, the weekend away. Last week, we looked at the important work of the Holy Spirit, giving us new birth. All right. That's where we're up to today. We're going to look at the fruit of the spirit and how that relates to freedom from Galatians five. So have that open on, uh, your bulletins or Zach pages. And, uh, let's go. I've got a couple of points there. My first point, two ways to live, um, Let me just give you a bit of context in Galatians. uh, It's written by Paul, the great missionary apostle pastor, and he is writing to Christians and churches in a region. Galatia is not a city. It's a region. It's like New South Wales, all right? And it's in modern Turkey, a group of churches there. Now, these Christians were not Jewish, right? They're called Gentiles, non-Jewish Christians. They became Christians out of a pagan, non-Jewish background, but they were pressured by Jewish Christians to go back to the Old Testament way of understanding relationship with God, which meant coming under the law of Moses, getting circumcised, obeying the food laws. All right, so let's put it in the religious, irreligious kind of categories, which I'll come back to again and again tonight. They were irreligious, non-religious. They became Christians, but now they're becoming pressured to become religious. Do you see what's going on here? Now, here's the interesting thing in Galatians. This is really the key to the chapter. Paul's solution, you'll note surprisingly, is not to go back to, well, this is not surprising, don't go back to irreligion. All right? Don't go back to doing whatever you wanted, however you wanted, just because it felt good. That's slavery. But here's the surprising bit. Paul is saying, don't also go to or go back to religion. Does that surprise you? Because a lot of people think being a Christian is about being religious. Galatians 5 is one of those places that says, no, 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 God rejects both irreligion and religion. That religion thing that they're being pressured to, Jewish laws, circumcision food, regulations, what you can and can't kosher and not kosher food, that's a form of slavery as well. So I want you to see that the two ways being presented in Galatians 5 is not you can either be irreligious or you can be religious. That's not the two ways, is it? Because Paul kind of lumps them together. That's the radical idea. Religion or irreligion belong together. They look different. They're actually the same. You want to know what the two ways are? Well, Paul actually outlines it for us, okay? The two ways are, right, not religion or irreligion or religion. It's the two ways are this, slavery or freedom. In verse 1, remember it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit yourselves to slavery right? Slavery and freedom. Or to put it another way, the two ways are flesh versus spirit. Flesh versus Holy Spirit. Verse 16, let me pick it up from there. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. It's actually much harder to do this in sync with what I'm saying than it actually looks. To practice as at the home. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, the law actually belongs here as well. Okay, clarification. Flesh does not equal this, your physical bodies. Okay, the Bible is actually very pro-physical, pro-body. God the Son became human and took on a body. He was raised with a new body, and we will also be one day raised eternally in new bodies. Okay, the so Bible's pro-body, pro body, uh, pro you know this. But what is f- not pro this? <laughs> Where's Edwin Ho when you need him? Uh, he's not here. He was here this morning in Acts eleven. Yeah. Anyway, um, the flesh here and in a lot of parts of the Bible means um, the weak, our weak and sinful selves. Before God, the Holy Spirit gives us new birth. Remember we looked at last, last week. Right? God needs to make you born again, give you a new life. Now, that's what he means by flesh. It's pre-new birth selves. Right? You on your own, trying to make it on your own. And we'll see in a moment whether you're trying to make it through irreligion or religion. It's flesh. You're weakened. You're on your own. It's, it's unaided by God, unhelped by God, without the life of God, without the power of God in us. And you see what he's saying. Both religion and irreligion all belong to, on these two sides of the equation, where you've got, right? Slavery, freedom, flesh, spirit. Where do they all belong? Both of them belong here. They both belong to the flesh. They both belong to slavery. Now you see that, don't you, from verse 19. Let's read there. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to see in that list, yes, there are sins that are more likely to be found in non-religious people, yeah? Particularly um, wanton sexual sins without limits, idolatry, you know, occult practices, drunkenness, yeah? Maybe they, they belong more, as we see in irreligious people. But I want you to see there's plenty of those things that actually very much belongs in religious people, yeah? Think about it. Discord, division, jealousy, selfish ambitions, envy. I mean, churches get split by this kind of stuff. Some of you have come from churches like this, right? We're always in danger of being like this. See, religion does not make you less sinful. It just dresses up those sins Respectable ways. His point is, both irreligion and religion are driven by the flesh. Both of them rely on unaided human effort. Both are driven by fleshly desires. Again, for the non religions, it's just much more obvious. But for the religious, it's just as much there. When religious people bicker and get bitter and jealous, and judgmental, and fight. Yeah, I mean, they don't worship other gods in the sense that maybe non-religious people do, you know. But there are idols there, aren't there? Power, control, and what drives jealousy or judgmentalism? Always needing the approval of people. Approval can be a big, powerful idol, can't it? Yeah, yeah. The religious people are driven by idols. Idols are anything that replaces God. They don't have to be things made out of stone and wood and precious things. Anything that replaces God. And religious people are just as driven by those things to religious sins. But you see, both irreligion and religion, says the Bible, says Paul here, they're both one-way roads back to slavery. Right? They're going to enslave you. You go down any of those roads. And Paul's point is just don't go there. Stand firm in your freedom. You see, I wonder if this is actually a bit of a description for some of the dangers that we face. Again, two groups of people, right? It's so easy, isn't it? Especially if you've come from a a non-religious background or or you feel particularly guilt-ridden over entangling sins or addictions or temptations from your non-religious days or your pre-Christian days. It's so easy when faced with that danger to think, well, I know the solution. I need more religion, Let me get some more laws in. I need to have the right rules in. And you've tried that though. All it brings is more guilt and actually no power to change. Yeah? Or maybe it's the opposite. You've grown up in a very oppressive religious environment. And now you welcome freedom, but you use that as an excuse to be irreligious. You're like the Corinthians. Everything is permitted. and you try that under the banner of, yeah, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm saved by grace. But for you, it's cheap grace. And you find yourself enslaved as well. You're not enslaved by rules. You're enslaved by sin. Because your freedom to sin has made you a slave to those sins. You see? It's so easy, isn't it? It doesn't matter which side of the equation you are, which solution you find. As long as you're swimming in the sea of that first category, right? Slavery, flesh. Religious or irreligious, you're going to find yourself back into slavery. So what is the solution? Remember the solution. The answer is the Holy Spirit. That wonderful, life-giving third person of the Holy Trinity, God Himself, God the Holy Spirit, can do what neither religion or irreligion can do. And that's why verse 16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's no uncertainty there, is it? Walk by the Spirit and you will not. In fact, it's not even strong enough. You will not. Literally, it's you will by no means. You will not in any way. Not a chance in hell. Well, maybe not. not. Right? That's what it means. It just will not happen. Yeah, the path out of slavery and flesh is Spirit life. So that point number two. Verse 22, you see there, the fruit of the Spirit is, famous verses, love it, don't you? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, did you notice the contrast? We looked at before the acts of the flesh, plural, but notice this, the fruit of Singular, not fruits. Acts of the flesh, but singular, fruit of the Spirit. We'll see why in a moment. But because it's fruit, we're going to have to transport ourselves a little bit into unfamiliar territory, unless you really like, you know, growing stuff, which I don't. Fruit is agricultural image, and if you know agriculture, then some things... You're going to find um, are important to keep in mind when we talk about the fruit of the spirit. Um, Pastor Tim Keller from New York, helpfully, points out three things about fruit. Number one is gradual. Number two it's inevitable. Right, that means it can't help it, can't help itself. And number three it's symmetrical. It's in balance. All right, so let's have a look at that. Firstly, gradual. Agriculture, and this is probably why I don't like it. I don't like growing stuff because it takes too long. All right, it's not good for the instant generation. Yeah, it's probably why the younger generation generally hates gardening. See, I've just lumped myself with the younger generation. You see what I did there? I'm young. Um, The fruit of the Spirit grows gradually. I I, I guess it's it's like a potato or a carrot, especially a potato or carrot because they grow in the ground. You can't even see it grow. Uh, You can only measure it after a time, pull that out of the ground. Wow, that's grown over like I don't know how long does it take to grow a carrot. <laughs> it's not hours, whatever. Yeah, mental note, don't use agricultural <laughs> language. Um, okay. Now, I, I say this is really important, this gradual point, because sometimes if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you, you get frustrated at yourself, don't you? Um, your lack of Christian growth sometimes is because, the uh, truth is, we are not measuring long enough timelines. Like You're thinking weeks, months, perhaps. You ought to be thinking years decades. Now, I want to encourage you because um, some of you I've only come to know since we started Bankstown, and that's probably within the last two years, but others I've known for much longer, haven't I? I've, I've journeyed with you through the years. I've seen for even some of you over, I mean, it's not like 20 years, but even over four or five years, I've seen how different you have been over that amount of time handling crises compared with then. Sometimes you gotta see yourself over five, ten years rather than one or two years. Let me just encourage you. There are those of you here, I can genuinely say, wow, if you had faced what you faced now five years ago when I first met you, it would have been a different situation. See how you've grown. That's fruit. But secondly, it's inevitable. That means there's a necessity, it will be growth, okay? It will be growth. The Holy Spirit who was there, remember, at the first talk on the weekend away, if you were here, he, cro- he co-created the universe. He was the agent of God's powerful creation work. Of course, when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life, what's going to happen? He's going to give new life. And He's going to work powerfully to bear fruit. He is going to change you. He can't help but change you. You cannot help but be changed. Sometimes you think, oh, my flesh, my weakened self, my sinful self is so powerful well, it might look like it, but the Spirit is much more powerful. He is. There's a story of a man when he, was, when he died. He was buried under a marble slab. Like you've been to cemeteries, you know, there's stone and then there's you know, polished, beautiful marble ones. Well, he was buried under a marble slab. But somehow an acorn got into his grave. And true story, over time the acorn grew and split the marble. Wow, an acorn can split. Yeah, apparently, acorn can split the marble because it grew. That's how much more powerful the Holy Spirit is, right? You wouldn't bet on the tiny seed over the strong marble if you saw it, but the seed was actually more powerful because it's alive. And the Spirit is alive in you, and sometimes He feels like just a seed, all right? Now, again, we are saved not by fruit. God does not judge you on your fruit on the final day in terms of that is the thing that justifies you. You're saved by faith in Jesus, right? But the faith that saves will always bear fruit. So fruit is evidence, right? Because the faith that is real and clings on to Jesus, is united to Jesus by the Holy Spirit, cannot help but bear fruit. So it's inevitable. And the third one is, it's symmetrical. Christian growth is symmetrical, Remember, it's, it's symmetrical means it's in balance. Remember, singular, fruit. Right? You don't go through this, live, love, joy, peace, patience. Oh, yeah, I like love and joy, but I'm not really sure about forbearance. So I'll just take A, B, and D, but not C. Like, it doesn't work like that. You don't get to choose the ones you want to bear fruit. The Holy Spirit is like fantastic furniture. It's a package deal king. <laughs> All right, Because fruit, singular, the real fruit of the Spirit, grows up together, okay? Now, I think helpful to actually, if you want to see symmetry, you almost have to break it down a little bit because you need to distinguish sometimes the work of the Holy Spirit versus your natural dispositional personality, right? Let me explain what I mean. I am a big fan of personality tests. If you know me, I'm like Myers-Briggs guy, right? So I'm always trying to figure out are you an E, I, or, you know, N, S, anyway, So, I'm an ENTJ, um, for those who speak the lingo, yeah. Um, But uh, as an extrovert, and my particular combination of ENTJ, it generally means I'm a glasses kind of half full guy, yeah? So, I'm, on appearance, going to be a little bit peppier, right? Joyful. Um, I also like being organized and on time, right? That's my J part, right, with the ENTJ. So on appearance, I'm more faithful. But you see, my personality combination is this. I might be more positive, happier, more extroverted, especially if I'm meeting you. And I like organization and time. I like to keep on time. Um, That might be, oh, wow, he's like brimming with joy and faithfulness, fruit of the Spirit. But do you know what? My, My personality combination also means I'm more impatient. I tend to be controlling and proud. I can be unkind, ungentle, and unpeaceful. See, what therefore appears to be joy and faithfulness isn't really from the Spirit, but from my personality, or at least the appearance of them tend to be. And I know that because there's no symmetry. Do you see? I've got joy and faithfulness, but I also got the things that go along with my personality anyway. So there's nothing supernatural about that that joy and faithfulness, because it also goes along with my impatience and controlling and proud. Read any ENTJ guy, and we kind of have those in spades, yeah? But if it's actually from the Spirit, then my joy will be coupled with kindness and humility. My faithfulness will come with gentleness and patience. That's what I mean by symmetry. That's why it's a package deal when it's from the Holy Spirit. He will bear symmetrical fruit in us. So let's have a look at some of the fruit that's described here. Let me just go through the list pretty quickly. Love. Love is always at the top of the list, almost any list, because Christian love, um, you may not know, may Christian love was actually pretty unique in the ancient world. Um, it took one of the three, um, in, the, in the ancient world, the Greek, the, Greeks, the Greek language has three words for love. Okay, they overlap in some sense, but they have three different words for love. It kind of took one of it and made it its own. All right, the, the, one of the words is agape love. All right, because it's, it's sort of unique. Um, it, it, the Christian love is selfless service for another person's benefit without regard for your own benefit. Okay, and so in verse 13, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. That's the kind of love we're talking about. Christ's kind of love, self sacrificial love. Now, beware of the fake, though, right? Again, like with some of these um, fruit of the Spirit, it's easier to just see on the surface. Fake love is loving and serving someone because of how it makes you feel. That's called manipulation and codependency, (laughs) right? But actually, a lot of people will say, you know, go and help, you know, go and serve and help the homeless because it makes you feel good. That's not real love, is it? right? That's that's not Christian love. Love is when I serve someone, even though I may not be getting anything from it, okay? Secondly, joy. Joy is much deeper than circumstances. It's not about just mood swinging, because spirit joy ultimately is grounded in not the blessings that life gives or God gives, but in the one who blesses, okay? See, if my joy is, or my happiness is indexed towards my life circumstances, or if God is being nice to me, or if things are going well, then I'm happy or joyful. If God is taking stuff away, then I'm not being joyful. Then obviously, it's going to go like this, because life is like that. But Christian joy is grounded not in the blessings, but the person who blesses. My joy is in God, and my hope and trust is in Him, and He is always wonderfully glorious and good, even though life will go up and down. And you see, that's a different sort of thing. I'm anchored in that, and that's what Christian joy is. I've seen some of you go through terrible circumstances. Uh, One person just recently said, it's been hard, but I've also discovered joy in a way that I didn't think was possible in the hardship, right? That's joy. That's spirit joy. Um, Peace is um, being able to face trouble without blowing up or hitting hitting out, right? Kind of peace. Um, Beware of fake. Again, there's people who are easygoing, right? Just kind of, um, you know, Dan's words from yesterday's seminar, phlegmatic. I learned a new word. I thought phlegmatic was just about having lots of <coughs> phlegm. I know with this mic, nothing escapes, right? Once I had a cold and I had this mic on, and it's just like I couldn't blow my nose. It's just, you know. Um, easygoing does not equal peace necessarily. It may just be, and also easygoing can just be, some people are just really easygoing, but it's kind of like I can't be bothered. To care just indifference that's not true peace right peace is being able to face a difficult person difficult situation and not blowing up not hitting out kindness and goodness those goes together um this is ability to serve others in a way that makes you maybe even lose out serving others even though you become vulnerable right that's the kind of genuine kindness and goodness we're talking about here but it's okay for you to do that because your security comes from much deeper places See, genuinely spirit-grown kindness and goodness means you don't envy. You can actually genuinely rejoice that someone else is succeeding. You can genuinely be happy when someone else is happy. And it doesn't hold back when you're serving others and loving others, being good to others, because you might lose out. That's kindness and goodness in the spirit sense. Faithfulness here is loyalty as well as courage. It means that you can be utterly reliable, true to your word, Like God, He makes promises and He keeps them. You mean what you say. That's spirit faithfulness. Gentleness is being humble and being self-forgetful. This is not the same, okay, beware the fakes. This is not the same as having low self-esteem or an inferiority complex. In the Bible, Moses and Jesus were both described as gentle and humble, but powerful, weren't they? Right, spirit-grown gentleness is power that stoops. Greatness that raises other, others up above yourself. Right, it's not an either or. Last of all, self-control. Uh, that is the opposite of instant gratification, of being impulsive, reacting all the time, shooting off your you know, whatever you want to say, whatever you think straight away, doing whatever comes to your mind. Okay? That's the opposite of that. Self-control is the key to wise, measured, thoughtful living. You know how to pursue the important over the urgent. Okay? It's linked to wisdom. Now, beware of a fake. Some people have great willpower, it's just in their upbringing, in their nature. But the willpower is based on pride because you need to feel in control. It's, it's actually based on insecurity. <laughs> it's different to self-control, okay? Not spirit self-control. Okay, so they're just, through, look, we went through them pretty quickly, but it's just to give you a snapshot. What does a spirit-bearing fruit look like? Um, my final point, though, you can't look at those, that list and feel, you, you can't look at that and not feel like, wow, I've got a long way to go. I mean, that's, isn't that what you're thinking? I, I'm thinking that as well. Now, the temptation is, I've got now a list, so that's my new set of rules, isn't it? Now, the temptation is now go back to religion via the list that's actually not about being religious. But let me just tell you, if you do that, again, you'll be powerless to actually change because the solution is the spirit, not more law. Now we're in a bit of a bind then. So how in the world do we actually then do this? Do we stand firm in freedom and be fruitful? How is it possible to be free and fruitful without being enslaved in religion and laws and flesh all over again? Well, I've got a couple of things and we'll end with this. Firstly, Remember the Spirit in Christ. Remember, the Spirit's work is to point us to Jesus. Verse 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, if you want a shortcut to holiness, you'll always be tempted to just go back to the rule of law and religion. But it will not kill the flesh. The solution is to let the Spirit point you to Jesus. Let Him apply the work of Jesus even more deeply in your life. And there's two aspects. Again, this won't be new because we've been looking at the Holy Spirit in His relation to Jesus, but let me remind you of two aspects. Number one, you belong to Jesus. Remember this. Apply this. Our approval, if you're a Christian, our approval and welcome from God the Father does not rest in our performance but in what Jesus has already finished for us, when He died and rose again. See, that is freedom. Rest confidently that you belong to Jesus confidently and securely, that because of Jesus, you are always, always acceptable before God the Father. When you are in that kind of security, I'll tell you what, it will do much more to kill the flesh. Whereas if you live under the fear of punishment, which is what law brings... You'll only go so far. But resting in security and belonging in Jesus makes a world of difference. Secondly, the Spirit, remember, unites us to Jesus, and we participate in His story. His story becomes our story. He died for our sins. And so consider that your flesh, your sinful nature, is dead and buried with Him. Because I'm united to Jesus, and He did a swapsies with me, right? Him for me, so I'm no longer alive. But He now lives in me. You see, this way of thinking and living then changes everything because it's not just about dealing with sinful actions on their own. But now you're actually thinking about a whole system of motivations and insecurities and sinful desires and idols of approval or affection or pleasure or power that lie behind your actions. Once you see spirit living in relation to my identity in Jesus or my lack of living out that identity, you're going much deeper than individual actions of am I being envious or jealous. You see what I mean? And so actually what what we're to do is let the Holy Spirit actually plunge very deep and so that He can reveal and deal with the desires and not just the actions of our flesh and actually root them out and destroy them. And he takes the gospel, he takes what's true about Jesus and applies it to each one of those things. Now, this can be painful. And again, it's gradual. Rules and laws can deal with my actions, but only the Holy Spirit will deal with my motivations and my idols. And it's so painful sometimes that I actually want to avoid it. So much easier. Just give me a set of laws, God, that at least I can pretend to keep them or keep them on the surface, what the Pharisees did, by the way right? But they were Jesus' biggest opponents. Right? Religion will only be, make you a Pharisee. But that's the easy way. You know, the Pharisees had 653, I don't remember, laws of the Old Testament. They kept each one to the letter, but they had the easy way. Can you believe that? They took the easy way because they used religion rather than Holy Spirit work, which is sometimes so painful and hurts so much because he's delving so deep. And I'm really seeing my heart for how black it is and what's motivating me. But unless I let him do that work, I won't see real change in my life. That's the difference. That's spirit work. That's spirit work applying the gospel. But you know, all the time he's doing that, revealing the darkness of your heart, you're also secure because you belong to Jesus. You also know that you've died with Jesus. And so you're in a really great place right? to have him reveal that. Now, I'm talking pretty conceptually. For some of you, it's like, wow, I don't know what to do with that. Um, There is a course that we've been running a few times, particularly um, Pastor Jonah at Acts 11 has been running. Arne has been helping him. And um, over the course of next year, we'll actually try over the next few years to be running it again and again just because it's so helpful. And I know Arne's spoken about it before. It's called How People Change. Um, And so, you know, when we actually advertise it and open it up for people who are really committed to learn more about this stuff, to, to do something about it, um, you might be one of the people who are like, yeah, I want to sign up to that. Okay, it's a commitment, but it really is helpful. Okay, last point. Let the Spirit lead. You notice the language of Spirit living. Verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 17, what the Spirit desires. Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit. Verse 25, since we... Live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. It's The point we made about the Holy Spirit right from the first talk of Weekend Away, the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is God in us. And so what do you do with a person? You relate to a person. You walk with a person. You listen to a person. You are led by a person. See, our problem is sometimes, isn't it, that we treat the Christian life as a set of impersonal rules, and we treat God's power as some impersonal force that He gives us. We forget that spirit life is personal, relational, dynamic. He is God in you, and He is God with you. He wants to walk with you. He has desires for you to be holy, And that's why he's the Holy Spirit. He wants to speak to you. He wants to lead you. In other words, you can't live the Christian life and bear fruit without communion and intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit, can you? So at the end of the day, that's what we need to be doing. Developing a personal, intimate walk with God. Because when that happens, you can bet that the Holy Spirit on you will work His fruit. And you can bet that it will be gradual, but it will be inevitable, and it will be symmetrical, and you will see change. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, please come. Do what our flesh cannot do. Do what we are tempted to go back to the religion and do, but without you, it is all slavery again bear fruit in us. We pray for those who don't yet know you in this personal way, Lord Jesus. We pray that they can see that the Christian life is actually not about religion. It's about living in freedom. And may they come and attach themselves to Jesus because freedom is really found there. Amen.